0: Hey, thanks for checking out the Good Advice Podcast. And this is round three. So, we sit down and bring back not just my favorite guests, but your favorite guests for not a round two conversation, but a third time conversation. And today, we're sitting down with Kristen Sherry. She's an internationally known best selling author, she's also the founder of UMAP. It's one of the most incredible tools that are out there for professionals who are looking to unlock their own potential in their workplace or possibly find new opportunities in other workplaces. You can find out more at myumap.com and also be sure to check out Kristen's amazing books available on Amazon. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. This is our round three series that I describe as if we have so many of them. Uh, We have our round two series, which is where we bring back not just my favorite guests, but your favorite guests. And then for the really special guests, the amazing guests, they come back for a third episode and possibly even more. Uh, On today's episode, I am bringing back one of my all-time favorite people. She goes by the name of Kristen Sherry, which I say as if you have some alternate personality or alternate lifestyle. (laughs) Um, But Kristen's on the podcast today. If you don't know anything about Kristen, you need to hit pause and go check out what Kristen's doing Uh, Like I mentioned, one of my favorite people. She's an Amazon bestseller. She's incredible. She also is the creator of UMAP, which has been one of my favorite tools when it comes to unleashing the power of your people and just growing in a greater understanding of your skill sets. She's internationally known. She has a massive community and a massive fan base, including myself. I'm a big fan of her. Uh, And we'll be talking more about some of the exciting stuff she's doing. So, Kristen, thanks for joining the show again today.
1: Well, now that my face is as red as my dress, (laughs) you're making me blush, Blake. It is wonderful to talk to you. I love listening to you talk because you have communication in your top five strengths and your ability to put together such eloquent phrasing on the fly is inspirational. Well, I'm I, a st- I stutter over myself sometimes.
0: I, I think it's because I was a high school teacher and I had 40 students in my classroom. And so you get to the front of the class and they're like, okay, what do you got for me? Like, this better be good, right? So <laughs> I think Pressure. I've, been, I've been forged by fire, I guess. And um, yeah, It's it's just so great to have you back on the show. I mean, I really mean what I said in that you're one of my all-time favorite people. Uh, you really do business the right way. Um, the content, the not just in terms of social media content, but like the the work you're doing is meaningful, and so mm-hmm. it's great to have you on and share more about uh, what life is like in Kristen's world. So well, welcome.
1: it's a pleasure. You're one of my favorite people as well, and it really is easy to do work that you're passionate about when when it aligns with your values, and so. I think we probably have some similar values. Vibe in here and that's oh, yeah. probably why we get along so well.
0: Well, there's this is your third time on the show. Um the main reason I brought you on is you know like there's this there's this weird um this weird angle of entrepreneurship that it almost feels very fake and it is like this um Live the life you want. You know, life's so great. Um, and I, I even hear stories of people who they're like, "Oh yeah, my life's amazing. I get up at four in the morning. I, you know, do all these things." And it's like it's very exciting, I guess, for the aspiring entrepreneur. But I'm always a bit suspicious. I'm like, okay, but but do you really like? Do you ever sleep in? I'm really curious about this. Um, You've been someone who I've been following your journey for a few years now. And the reason I brought you, you on is because that life that I'm talking about, you actually are living it now. And yes. it's, it's been really fun and motivating for me as your friend to see this transformation happening. It's really cool. And so maybe for people who like have no idea what I'm talking about, maybe you could just share a little bit about... How has life changed for you in the last couple of years?
1: Mm-hmm. um so the cu- a couple of years or f- from when I started my own entrepreneur journey, because it, it I have a number of uh milestones, i suppose <laughs>
0: yeah, let's 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 go big let's let's start with the big journey, and then maybe we'll hone in on a couple of things. Um, yeah, let's start big for now. Talk okay. to a bit about the journey.
1: Um so it's been a honing process right this sort of uh I don't know if there's any sculptors <laughs> You're going to have have to excuse me while I plug in my computer I meant to do that before and it's telling me my battery's dying oh, so I have to plug it in really quickly okay Um yeah, I
0: saw you navigating your your house and <laughs> it's like we're going yeah, to Yeah to where is nice. my
1: charger <laughs> I'm usually good about doing that So I have been in this honing process and I I can't help but do that because my number one strength is maximizer and I'm always maximizing things. I'm not a person that settles and says, okay, I've arrived. And it can be annoying, but it can be a a good thing too, as long as I don't overdo it, I suppose. (laughs) But I knew something was wrong in my career when I started to wake up every morning and say to myself, what day is it? And I would have anxiety if the answer wasn't Saturday or Sunday. <laughs>
0: mm,
1: yeah. Oh, it's Monday. Uh, it's going to be a day. And I thought to myself, you know, this is a ridiculous way to live of a feeling like this panicky feeling. It was almost like the most abrupt, like almost, you know, those falling dreams where you fall and it wakes you up. Mm-hmm. That type of a, of a really disrupted feeling waking up every day of my life. And I said, you know, I have to start listening to this. And anytime time I started to have that feeling, I started to hone in on what is going on in my life, what's happening and being very reflective and surveying the lay of the land, if you will, and then acting. I think a lot of times we forget that we are the architects of our own career, mm-hmm. even if we work for someone else. And so I started uh, this sort of, I guess, process improvement, the Six Sigma black belt thing where you're going through and eliminating waste from your life. I started to do that very intentionally and very proactively. And, and was, even when I worked for
0: myself. Was there like a a moment that like set you off on that? Or were you just, was it like small, you know, baby steps that you started to kind of like, I kind of think of like, you know, you're going through like a forest and it's like every step forward, you get a little bit closer to where you think you want to go. Uh, But then I know other people who have like these big aha, you know, like a friend of mine was saying like his second child was born and all of a sudden he was like, oh, what am I doing with my life? Like for you, like what, was there a moment or did you just start like, yeah, I had a
1: mentor. I really think mentoring relationships are critical that outside perspective, people that see the the forest when we're lost in the trees. I think that's so critical to have a mentor. And working with my mentor was really what helped me pivot my life because you can just wander around in the forest by yourself if you don't have a guide. And just the aha moments that came, I was it sound when I tell the story, it sounds like I'm making it up because I was literally walking on Walden Pond. And I'm walking on Walden Pond and having this conversation with my mentor and he asked me the question, um, do you know what your values are? And I said, of course I do. And he said, well, what are they? And I just sort of drew this blank and said, my family. Yeah, and he yeah, said, yeah. well, family isn't a value. Yeah. And when he said family wasn't a value, I found myself at just a total loss realizing I was existing every day of my life without knowing what was important to me, what was most important mm-hmm. to me outside of my family. But my life sure didn't show it because I was a workaholic and worked all these hours, practically missed my first two children's lives because I had so much work on my plate all the time. And I didn't know how to say no. I didn't know how to push back. I didn't know how to have boundaries. When my boss would say, come in, you have to work this weekend. I would say, okay, okay. I guess I don't have a choice, right? Mm -hmm. So I really think that that walk on Walden Pond with my mentor was one of those pivotal moments. Then I had another pivotal moment When I was having a conversation with our mutual friend, Lila Smith, and she said, would you like to, she was doing this Shakespeare thing where people would come and read sonnets, all of the Shakespeare sonnets. And she said, would you like to come and read a sonnet? I'm having creatives uh, come and read sonnets. And I was so confused. Like, well, why would you ask me? And so, she perceived me as a creative, and I didn't perceive myself as a creative. Mm. So, that's that's not values-driven, but just how I saw myself in the world. And then someone else called me one of their favorite creatives that in that same week. And I thought, wow, I don't even perceive myself how other people perceive me in the world. And I started to do some exploration around what I wanted to do in my business based on Who I really was. So I started to apply my own medicine that I give other people to myself. And I completely transformed the way I worked. And that led me to have a lot more, I hate the word balance, but prioritization in my life. I would work. I would get up in the morning and work. Then I would drive my kids to school. And then I would come home and work. Then I would pick them up from school and I would work and I would work until I would go to bed. And that was how I lived my life. And I just thought there has to be more to life than this. And then I had a health scare. And that's when I started to change how I spent my time. And just, you know, there are multiple pillars in your life. I'll just show you this picture really quickly. I know other people can't see it, but this picture here, this wheel of what's important spirituality, career, relationships, health, and finances. And it isn't until we have a crisis in one or more of those areas that we start to focus on. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to be proactive. And I'm going to start investing in my spiritual life, in my own career, instead of helping other people in theirs and, you know, be like the shoemaker's kids. (laughs) In my relationships, being more intentional with people, I'm going to invest in my health and in my finances. And people, I did the finances first. That was before I worked for myself. That was the first place I started because I went through a divorce, which is financially devastating for most people. And I realized a lot of people don't focus on these five areas of life. They tend to just obsess over certain pillars. And really, if you don't holistically care for yourself, you can't appreciate the pillars that are going well. How can you enjoy your relationships? When you're stressing about how you're going to keep a roof over your head, how right. can you enjoy your career when you feel spiritually void and you don't have a sense of purpose and, and why you're here and how can you enjoy any of those things? If you don't have your health, I mean, hmm. that's it's, and I just ignored my health entirely hmm. until I had a crisis.
0: What, what's the answer? Cause, cause I think like a lot of people resonate with this because it's almost like Like you're going about your day, you're going about your life and you have like these glimpses of dysfunction. Like you, you have a glimpse of like a relationship that you realize, okay, well, that's actually not, when I envision my relationships, that's not where I envision being like, maybe it's an argument with a spouse. Maybe it's a friend who you realize is not as close to you as you thought they were. And so I feel like we have you know, another example would be like your job, and then you get laid off, or you get let go, or you get passed over for, for a promotion. So, like we have these data points that sort of clue us into okay, something's not quite where I want it to be. Mm-hmm. But many of us, myself included, yeah. like we see it for a moment, and then we go back to habits and grinding and head down. You know, just doing what makes sense. How does someone pause? and like lean into that glimpse and like it starts to now helping them realize like a greater understanding of themselves, a greater clarity around what they really value and care for. Mm-hmm. Cause, Cause I think most people fall into that first bucket of, yeah, but I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done.
1: Yeah. So we are creatures of habit. It takes a lot of energy to get outside of that pattern. My mother, um, has been very instrumental in helping me because I have a mother who is a coach. And one of the things I remember, my mother, my mother has all of these little sayings that she said my whole life and they all rattle around in my head. And my mother always says, the wheel that squeaks the loudest gets the oil. And I did two things with that saying, I learned to be a squeaky wheel. <laughs> that was the first thing I learned to find my voice and speak up for myself. And I learned, I got a lot of things by just asking, Mm. because there are a lot of people out there who can't say no as well. (laughs) (laughs) And so my mother just had all these little funny sayings. And uh, I did realize that part of it is how the brain works. Like our brain likes to conserve energy. So we like to go into these fixed action patterns. Mm. So if you look at nature, there's something called a funnel spider. And that spider will this sounds crazy but that spider will weave the the the, the whole basket looking thing where it's going to lay its eggs and then it will it'll put the bottom on and then it lays the eggs down in and puts the top on and if you tear that bottom off of the what it's woven so far it will still go to the top and lay its eggs and they fall down out the bottom and then it seals the top hmm. and its babies are its eggs are not in there Because it just does what it does. And so that happens with us. And we look at that, well, that's just a stupid spider. It's energy preserving to go into this sort of default mode of being. Mm -hmm. And that's where those behavior patterns take root. And it takes energy to forge new neural networks in your brain and do things differently. And ultimately... We're always looking for the lowest energy cost, and so staying in um, abusive marriages. And I'm not trying to level any judgments because I realize there's a lot of, um, like, when women are in physically abusive relationships, when they leave is when it's the most dangerous time. So I get that. I'm not being insensitive yeah, to that. Sure. Um, and and, but when you look just at on at situations in a whole, we tend to go into these fixed patterns of behavior. And then there's something that we, that our brain does. Our brains are fascinating, and my degree is actually in neuroscience, so I understand a lot about human behavior. When we end up in situations, we start justifying things that, well, you know, my manager is only terrible sometimes, or we start to justify the situations that we're in. And even when we believe something and we're presented with facts against it, we will double down on our opinion. It's really quite a fascinating thing. We get this cognitive dissonance. So, for example, if somebody we have supported, evidence comes out that they're a terrible person, we Mm -hmm. will then make excuses or assault the character of the person who's pointing (laughs) out this person we've had faith in. It's the kill the messenger thing, right? Right. Um, it's, It's cognitive dissonance because our brains can't accept that we've been duped, that we've been fooled, that we made a dumb decision. And so we then work it out in our head so that it makes sense to us, that cognitive dissonance Is very difficult and it and people don't even know it's happening to them because Mm. we get so good at justifying our behavior, whether we're drinking and driving or whatever bad behavior we have. We human beings have a remarkable, um. Fool yourself <laughs> capability <laughs> of lack non-scientific term
0: it makes me think of a, a boss who got all of this negative feedback from his employees. One of them said basically, you're not you're not just a bad boss. you're a terrible human being. and it was it was pretty unanimous. I mean, all of the feedback was just crushing about how bad of a boss he was. And um so I asked him, hey, so what do you uh, what do you think you should do with this? All this info?" And what you, what you'd hope and expect is that someone would be like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Like, I never knew that I came across this way. Well, what he said, what he said instead was, wow, I need to fire these people.
1: Oh my goodness. They're
0: idiots. They don't know all the great things that I'm doing. And that's that cognitive dissonance firsthand of, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that just simply can't be the truth. That can't be who I really am. And I think you're spot on. It's it's an incredible um, natural barrier to our own growth.
1: Absolutely, and so part of part of the obstacle is how we're wired. So some people are naturally wired to value personal growth and to be people who want to maximize themselves. And so even though feedback is difficult, they will stare it in the face and they will eat the meat and spit out the bones. And that's what I say to people. You really have to eat the meat and spit out the bones. And you can assess the motives of another person, but I would just say, look at the feedback And can you think of examples where that has happened? Because it's really interesting when you talk to people and they do something bad or wrong. So they're on their way somewhere and they're speeding and they get pulled over. Well, they're on their way to something very important or their wife is in labor or they have a reason, but everyone else speeding on the highway is just a reckless jerk. Yeah. Right. So we attribute character flaws when other people make mistakes or do something that doesn't align with our values or something we don't like. And it's an exception for us. Mm. Well, when you look at 40 years of your life, for example, and 100% of exceptions, that's just statistically impossible. <laughs> so we're always making excuses for our behavior, but you, you, when you really look at something objectively, you have to say: Is it really mathematically probable that all of these things I have a viable excuse for, or could I potentially not be perfect?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's those um, potentially scary conversations with yourself where you you ask that question, and it's it's you know I talked to a woman who she was talking she was sort of lamenting about her staff. And she said something like, you know, my entire staff has all turned over in the last year, man, millennials really suck to manage oh, something boy. like that. And, you know, I'm a, it's always funny when someone I'm a millennial and when someone complains about millennials to me, I'm like, this is really weird that you're saying this to me. But, um, what I said back to her was I said, yeah, that's really interesting. Millennials can be challenging, but what I've seen when your entire team quits, it's usually not because they're millennials usually it's because of the boss. And she was like, well, you, you don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I don't, I have no idea. But like, we have these like breadcrumbs of again, it's those glimpses of like the actual truth compared to how we've associated like that data. Hmm. And it just seems like some people have a natural affinity to like lean into that and be curious right. and sort of, sort of like, um, you know, you like see this image and on the corner, there's, there's this like little, um, tear like in the paper, like where it's curling up and you kind of like peel that back. And it's like, oh my (laughs) gosh, that's, that's who I am. Right. But Mm -hmm. a lot of people like smear that back over and like, no, no, I like the beautiful person that I've, (laughs) you know, I love the mirage
1: that I created. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're really not doing yourself a favor because one of the things that when I used to coach people in executive coaching, I would, I would say to people like, what is your perspective of this feedback that you got. And I would say to them, do you want to be effective or do you want to be right? Mm. That's a good question to ask people because most people choose with their actions, they want to be right. But I think most people intuitively know that being effective is the way to go in life. And that's why I always like to say, eat the meat and spit out the bones. I'm so used to putting myself out there for criticism that it's become easier for me. And so I think inviting feedback, getting into a practice of asking people for feedback is a really good practice because I have to get reviews from people who have no affection for me whatsoever for my 12 books that are out there. And I I had someone write a review once that said... um, this book is toxic positivity. (laughs) One of my children's books, toxic positivity. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. So, um, it can be really easy to go down a rabbit hole of obsessing over one bad review. It's a balance between saying, oh, that's an interesting perspective that I hadn't considered is... Do, do I see any validity in that? Is there anything I can take away and use from that? Well, no, I couldn't because they didn't really give me anything actionable. But yeah. I think it's always a good thing to say is there anything for me that I can act on here that would mm. make me a better person?
0: My favorite reviews are things like, you know, um, this book changed my life. I shared it with everyone three stars. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I, know, I know. You're like, okay, well, yeah. It's well, good to because know <laughs> you have
1: personalities. That are not demonstrative. So the reason that happens is there are people who will never pick extremes. So when I do uh, a UMAP debrief with someone and I'm doing their strengths and we're ordering them, what's their driver strength, their strongest strength, and what are the passengers that support it, and then their fuel The the driver is the strongest, the passengers are the next strongest, and the fuel is the most moderate. And whenever I would coach engineers, I don't coach anymore for the record, but when I would coach engineers, I would say, is this strength moderate, strong, or very strong of you? And they'd say, oh, it's moderate. And then we go to the next one. Well, that's moderate. All five were moderate. Well, why is that? Well, when you're looking at the personality of engineers, they tend to be cautious, analytical people. So, they're not prone to hyperbole. That's so great. Mm-hmm. They don't talk like that. So everything is moderate. And then when I coach really extroverted, gregarious people who are eyes and disc influencers, Is this moderate, strong, or very strong? Every strength is very strong, very strong, very strong. So I've had to change my coaching practice so that the personality doesn't matter to say, is this a little more strong or a little less strong than the last strength we looked at? And that's how I can reorder it. So I end up with very strong, very strong plus, very strong plus, plus, (laughs) very strong plus, plus, plus. It's really funny.
0: It makes me think of, it's totally off topic a little bit, but I was talking to someone about how much they liked music and like, I don't really like music that much. And I was like, okay, cool. So like, you don't like go to concerts or anything. And he was like, I mean, I go to concerts the same as everyone else, which I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean? Cause like, for me, I haven't been to a music concert in, I mean, it's been 20 years. Yeah. And uh, so I'm not a concert
1: goer either. So
0: I was like, I was like, yeah. So, so like how often is that? he's like, you know, about the usual, like once a month. What? But the way he described it was, he was like, "Yeah, I'm just kind of just an average music. I'm not really crazy about music." And I'm like, "Okay, well, your perception of of how you see this one characteristic is very different from how an outsider would see it." Yeah. Um, and it almost feels like we we do normalize a lot of things like that for ourselves without really having that outside objective perspective, which is hard to come by, I guess, when, when you're not seeking feedback.
1: Yeah. So some people are are very concrete. Some people are more intuitive. So people are all very, very different. And anytime someone is reading something, hearing something, being told something or saying something, everything goes through a myriad of filters, right? You know this in the line of work you do. So, uh, I mean, if you go and look at the most critically acclaimed movie, I think probably the Godfather is number one on IMDb in terms of highest rating. You can find very many reviews saying this movie sucked. I, c- <laughs> I can't believe same thing with books. This book sucked. How did anyone like this? Right. And there's all of these rave critical reviews. So I think I just had this conversation with my daughter on the drive to school. I try to get as much coaching in as I can with them when I have them as captive audiences. <laughs> I, by
0: the way, I love the little um, tidbits you share of conversations you have. Um, oh, yeah, they're so fun. they're
1: fun. But my my daughter um, on the way to school today, I don't remember how the conversation started, but I was talking to her about how you can't please everyone. And the quote that I was saying is even the sweetest, ripest, juiciest peaches they're always people who hate peaches. And so I was just trying to set her expectations that you're never going to please everyone. There's always going to be pe- people who don't like you and you don't even know what their motive is. I The joke I like to tell is maybe that you you remind someone of their husband's mistress. Yeah. That's not applicable in the case of my daughter. That was oh, yeah. not, not a good juxtaposition. I yeah in
0: the sense of, I've, you've shared that story before and it makes me think of like, It's baggage, but it's also just like worldview. Like You aren't responsible for all of the the worldview that someone might have, the lens that they have that causes them to, for whatever reason, associate you in a really negative way.
1: Yeah. And we tend to be people of extremes, right? So we say, oh my goodness, everything someone says wounds me and it ruins my night and I hang on this negative feedback I got from my manager or woe is me and I feel deeply ashamed. Uh, what a terrible person I am! And the extreme on the other side is that I don't care what anyone thinks, and no one believes you. By the way, when you <laughs> say that, there are definitely some elements of truth where there are people who don't respect people's opinions and then just ignore it. But I don't, I don't think that that's healthy. On the other extreme, either to say I don't care what anyone says, um, no man is an island. But yeah, I think that there's there's a healthy middle ground there. Mm-hmm. What can I learn from this? And, uh, it always comes back to that, eat the meat and spit out the bones. So I, I try to really help my daughters. Um, I didn't do this as well with my sons, but I tried, but I'm better at it now, but I try to really help my daughters not be people pleasers, but not also be, I don't care what anyone thinks because mm. that's unhealthy as well.
0: Yeah, sure. Sure. Well so it's it's been great so far getting some of these tidbits for how you you view life. I'm I'm curious about um really the health side of of you personally in that. I mentioned this at the start of the episode. It's been really um motivating just for myself as someone who does not exercise at all. <laughs> uh I you know Kristen I have tried I have tr- I'm sure you have a really great like retort to this of like you know well did you really try but Um, I feel like I've tried to become a runner. Like I've tried to go out and run and make it a habit. My dad's a runner. I kind of feel like this connection to him of, of like, oh, if I was a runner, it'd give us more things to talk about. And for whatever reason, I just, it feels like I cannot create any stability around it. Talk to us a little bit about how did you create like this routine of health? And like the, like you took these really motivating concepts and you actually did it. Like That's what's fun for me about having you on the show is you have done it. How'd you do it? What's the answer?
1: (laughs) Well, there's a couple of contextual things that I think are important to spell out before I share. And the first is I am not a person who is consistent. So I think a lot of people might use that as a crutch. I can't. I do not like the words. I can't. I really don't. There has been a lot of research around the words we use. And there, were, there, were, there was this diet study. I'm not into diets for the record, but just for the point of I can't. There was this diet study and they had people in a control group that just didn't do anything different. They had two groups that were trying to lose weight. And one group, when they didn't want to eat something, which I'm not about restriction either, but when they didn't want to eat something, they would say, I don't eat donuts, but thank you. I don't. And then the other group was instructed to say, I can't eat donuts. Mm. And the group that said, I don't eat donuts, lost the most weight. The group that was the control group that did nothing did better than the group that was trying to lose weight that used the phrase, I can't. Mm. Those words need to be banished from everyone's vocabulary. Even if you don't want to go somewhere, you say, No, I, I just don't say I can't do something. Even if you just don't want to go somewhere and you're just going to stay at home, <laughs> don't even say I can't. Yeah, I'm going to stay in tonight, but thank you for the invitation. You don't have to make excuses, and I can't is an excuse. So I used to say, I can't run, I can't lose weight, I can't lose weight because I'm Native American and we're apples. Skinny arms and legs with the the round middle. We're we're all built that way. Whether you're Seneca or Mohawk or Iroquois, whatever, we're all like that—the apple shape. And my grant my aunts and my grandmother and my mother—that was my, the body I was destined to have. In fact, when I was a teenager, my aunt walked past me on the stairs. She said, "Enjoy that body while it lasts." I was like <laughs> twenty-one or something like that, and I was like, "I'll never turn into an apple like you." And sure yeah. enough, I did. So it was my destiny because of my genetics, mm. right? And so i I'm over, like I'm fifty years old. I can't lose weight because I'm fifty. My your metabolism grinds to a halt when you get past a certain age. At all these, I can't. And then I was just happy to prop up on my excuses. and i, I this is not going to be a popular thing to say. But I think the body positivity movement has taken a really bad turn hmm. where now we are not just saying, hey, you know, people can make their own choices and we shouldn't focus hmm. on people's weight. We shouldn't comment on it. That's fine. But we've taken this turn to praising obesity. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's really dangerous because you can, a lot of the people we're praising who are obese are people in the entertainment business and they're still young. And you can get away with obesity for a while, but Mm -hmm. the bill always comes due. And that's what was happening with me. Every year when I would go to the doctor, everything was fine, even though I was overweight. But then one year it wasn't. Mm, One year I had a whole host of problems that I didn't know that I had like blood pressure that the look on the nurse's face when she put the cuff on, she took it off and went to the other side and had this sort of nervous look on her face. And she said, are you nervous? And I said, well, I am now Yeah.
0: because <laughs> the way she was
1: acting was cool making me nervous.
0: Cu- cool as a cucumber. Why? I know. <laughs> and
1: so she said, well, are you, are, are you stressed? Or and I'm like, Nope, I've been laying here on this little bed waiting for you guys. I'm chill mm. as as a cucumber, like you yeah, said. And right. so, I felt like I was at rest, but my blood pressure was 158 over 118 at rest, laying down, lying down. Yeah. Yeah, Wow. And so she said that it was not at the, we have to get you to the hospital right now, but it was the step right below that. It was the second level of high blood pressure, the Mm -hmm. second level of high blood pressure. And I was like, oh, maybe that's why every time I climb the stairs, I have to bend over because I can feel like pounding in my neck. Maybe yeah. that's what that was. Right. And I just thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm out of shape, is all. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that was the, the first scare that I had. And I just said, I have to get rid of these excuses. So I wrote a post on LinkedIn and I said, I'm like, I have, some issues. My blood pressure is dangerous. And my doctor took me off my birth control pill and said, you can't be on the birth control pill because it's dangerous for, with your blood pressure to be on it. So they wanted to immediately put me on medicine. And I said, well, just give me a minute. And Mm -hmm. I, and I put this out there on LinkedIn and Carrie Twig reached out to me. She exercised, she's an exerciser person. And she said, "Um, if you want to get help, I'll help you. And I'll be your exercise accountability partner. And we have been sending each other sweaty selfies every day <laughs> since October of 2020.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's, it's every day. Nothing to sound, you know, obnoxious about, but I I remember some of that early content from you. And it it, it wasn't in the sense of like dismissive. It's just like, you're like, Oh yeah, that's nice. That's cool. Um, cause like we all like have these moments of like, you know, I'm going to do this and you kind of put the line in the sand and you know, it's like the new year's resolution. Like people are really motivated and it's exciting to see, but then there's the people who like, you know, the next month goes by and they're still doing it. And then the yeah, next we'll month see happens. the difference
1: was it was November when I first started losing weight. I started losing weight first and then I started exercising second so I I did get a health scare before I started exercising and I thought okay I'm going to I'm going to lose weight. And it was November. It was 2 weeks from Thanksgiving and I was like, well, a heart attack isn't going to say, well, we'll just wait until you eat your crescent rolls and the <laughs> gravy and all that stuff. We're, we're we'll we'll just wait and then we'll yeah.
0: We'll, yeah rock your world until you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It
1: doesn't work like that. So if I was in a situation where my vitals weren't good, you know, it could be any day thing. So Mm. it didn't matter that it was two weeks from Thanksgiving. So I started my health journey and changing my eating habits two weeks before Thanksgiving and the month before Christmas. And everybody else was saying, oh, I'm going to wait until the new year. But here's the thing. When you say, I'm going to wait to the new year, you're not even in control. You're letting the calendar already dictate when you're going to take control of something that should be important to you. So you have set yourself up for failure right then that you're not even in control of of when you're starting because you want to wait and enjoy the holidays. Think about that, Blake. I want, I can't enjoy the holidays unless I behave in a gluttonous way.
0: <laughs> I'm <Still> gorging. <laughs> there
1: is so yeah. much wrong with that. I had a wonderful <laughs> Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I just had some rules in place, you know. Huh. I don't restrict what I eat. I might macro balance, but I didn't go for seconds. And I I usually eat dinner on a sandwich plate. Mm -hmm. because did you know that sandwich plates of today were the size of dinner plates? Yeah. Seriously. Uh, My mother won a auction for this. There was this fish and chips place in the town. My parents live in now called Sullivan's and they, they auctioned off because everyone you see at Sullivan's right. So it was nostalgic. So they auctioned off their plates and I opened up. I'm like, why'd you get the lunch plates? (laughs) It's like these little lunch plates. And she says, no, those, the, those, were, those were the dinner plates. And I said, what? Like dinner plates used to be this size? She's like, yeah. So what do we do in America? We just <laughs> get bigger plates if we want to eat more, you know? The, the, bigger, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember I have these friends in France and they came to visit and they couldn't get over. You know, the kid's size French fries and the little white, pe- that's the adult small. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. And the
1: the small is their large and the super size, forget it. Like they don't even roll like that. So they can, I remember they came to visit and they just couldn't get over like how much food we eat here. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's a connection (laughs) between our obesity levels here versus France. So the biggest issue is the minute, remember that cognitive dissonance that we were talking about? the minute you start to put ownership on a person, the defenses go up. The same thing happens. So you have to be really careful when you talk to people. I remember a fitness guy on LinkedIn writing a post and he said, you're fat because you eat too much food. And it triggered me. (laughs) I was so triggered. And I went off on this big thing about my genetics and my age and I'm Um, indigenous and indigenous people are known for uh, being overweight. And it's like, oh, geez, I wonder if indigenous people are known for for being overweight because we pass our habits on to one another or something, (laughs) which it turns out is the case. But anyway, um, I thought I ate healthy. I believed in every fiber of my being that I ate healthy.
0: Mm.
1: And then I started to pay attention to what I actually put in my mouth every day as part of this new transformation, and I was shocked at the mindless eating I did that I didn't even know I was eating. Making my daughters' lunches, packing them for school, put a piece of cheese on their sandwich and a piece of cheese in my mouth.
0: Oh yeah, the while I'm making dinner, cooking, yeah, yeah,
1: 125 calories in a slice of cheese. And I would do that slice of cheese thing with every meal I made while I was making. And and the, right there, 375 calories in mindless eating. And I did more than that, too. Like, mm. I would just do that for a snack while I was making a snack. I would eat a piece. Of, I was eating so much cheese. It's amazing. I didn't turn into a piece of cheese. But anyway. <laughs> So I didn't know I was doing so. that. It is very delicious. I didn't know I was doing that. And I yeah. would always snack while I would make my meals.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Always. Yeah. And I had no idea how much that added up to. So when I actually started paying attention to what I was putting in my mouth every day, and then this, I got worse. I would say, well, I'll walk. And I would go for a 30-minute walk. And realistically, if you're just walking around for 30 minutes, you're going to burn a hundred calories if you're lucky. <laughs> and then I'd say, I can eat a blueberry muffin because I walked today and there's right. 450 calories <laughs> in store-bought blueberry muffins, yeah. the jumbo ones, you know, oh, yeah, 450 calories. Do you know, I have to run on a treadmill for 45 minutes to burn... 450 calories. And if you're not doing that and you're just like popping the muffins. So we don't know that our mindless behaviors are contributing mm. to that, those yeah. excess calories. And sometimes we can get into a situation where we're saying, well, I'm going to walk every day. And then now I can eat dessert every day.
0: Yeah. I think of it like my wife, she became vegan last year. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, it was, and it was like a real like source of contention briefly for us where Um, like I love to cook. I really enjoy cooking. And so I was like, well, I don't know how to, I don't know how to cook vegan. Like I I can't do that. And, um, and I also kind of associated like a, like when you think of a good meal, I just always associated like, you know, half the plate is, is the meat it's like the steak or whatever it is. And it took me like reframing or, I mean, it was that cognitive, cognitive dissonance that you're talking about, where now you have a, a, in fact, actually what ended up happening was we were visiting some friends in Germany and they were talking about how like the meat is like the delicacy and it's usually the smallest piece on the plate, which Mm -hmm. I had never thought of before. I was like, I always thought like that is the meal and everything else is like the side or something. Um, but it seems like when you come face to face with that dissonance, it either you lean into it or you, um, I guess, keep fooling yourself.
1: I wrote that guy and I apologized to him.
0: I was actually wondering, yeah, if you... I did. I wrote to him because
1: I ended up blocking him. I was so mad. He made me so mad (laughs) because I think something deep down knew he was right. I did not like to come face to face with the fact that I was undisciplined. Yeah, wow. And that hurts. You know, I have said that on Twitter about myself. I said, when I was obese... It was largely because I made excuses for my behavior. I had mindless behavior that I didn't even realize. And I was undisciplined. Mm-hmm. And people jumped all over me. And I'm like, I get it. It feels really bad to hold the ball. It feels really bad to hold the ball. You've got to swallow your pride. Your your life is too important. And so once I swallowed my pride and said, okay, I'm going to admit That the fact that I weigh more than my husband and I'm over 200 pounds, I have to admit that there's some cause and effect here. And I started to think about, like, how many people do I know that are really obese, that are 80 years old? Right. I really can't think of any. Right. Right. And so, when you start to look at obesity figures, when you have like 52% of the US population in their 40s obese, and it gets by the time you get to the elderly, it's like 13 to 20% or whatever. It's not because the elderlies have figured out how to lose weight, it's because they <laughs> died. Yeah. They died. So, here's what I didn't know when I was carrying around the extra weight, that extra tissue, so I had heart problems. That was my issue, right? So, what I learned when I was open and coachable was my heart has to pump blood to my fat tissue, my inactive fat tissue. It can't just sit there without a blood flow. It will will rot and die. It needs Mm -hmm. blood flow too. And so, what happens is my heart is beating 65, 66, 67, 68 times a minute. That's more than once a second. It's working so hard to supply blood to all my fat that's just sitting there freeloading on my body. My heart now beats 52 down to 48 beats a minute, not even one beat every second since I've lost weight because it's not having to work so hard. Your heart is a piece of equipment that has a finite number of beats in it Mm-hmm. So this is serious stuff, you know, there's definitely consequences, but I get it. I get it puts people up because if we feel like we've tried things and they didn't work, we have to say, this is just how I am. And this is how it has right. to be. I tried every which way to lose weight. I tried keto twice. My body punished me and gave me a fat tax. <laughs> I gained more <laughs> weight back after I did keto because my body said, I'll show you right. doing that. Um I tried all kinds of things different I tried the shakes I started to get fuzz, fuzzy tongue and fuzzy mouth it was terrible when I was doing the smooth the was it the smoothie thing Yeah yeah
0: Yeah uh, I yeah. I
1: tried I tried everything except for I didn't try like diet pills because I'm just like nervous about any of those types of things so I didn't do any of that But I tried all of the different diets and I came to the grips with the fact that you know I just need to have a, a macro balanced way of eating, where I'm mostly eating healthy things, and not using emotional eating when you start binging and any of those types of things. And I have to just have an active lifestyle. It's just I, you can I couldn't keep trying to cheat and cut corners because my body would punish me. See, when you restrict calories, when you start. Uh, trying to starve yourself or do all these different things, your body says, "Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I'm starving," and it starts to conserve body fat by slowing your metabolism. And that's why people don't lose weight when they they use diet tactics, because yeah. your body is smart and it tries to protect itself. So, Carrie, going back to her, she said, "I'll help you." And so she started to, see, the thing is, is I hated exercise. I had this running joke that I used to always say, I only run if someone's chasing me. <laughs> Sometimes I would vary it and say, I only run if a bear is chasing me or whatever. But I yeah. always would say, I only run if I'm being chased. But you don't have to run. Like there's, there's a lot of different ways that I, it turns out I had a running partner and I ran with her and I liked running and I do like running, but I joined a group that taught me how to run properly, that taught me how to strength train and have a solid Mm. core, just kind of like going and doing cardio, 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 cardio. That is like the worst way to lose weight Mm. because it's really your muscles are what burn the most calories. So strength training and HIIT workouts and all of that are a big core of what I do. And I run a few days a week, yes, but that is not... I don't know. That's not a good strategy. Just trying to do three hours. I work out 30 minutes a day during the five days of the week. And I do a long run for like an hour on Sunday and Saturday is my rest day, but I do 30 minutes. This going to the gym for three hours isn't necessary if you know what you're doing. So I joined this group and this woman, she's a physiotherapist and she's changed my life around healthy attitudes around food. I eat bread every day, Blake. And I make it, bake it myself, it but really I, I eat bread every day. Yeah. It's, it's not this whole culture of restricting and binging and restricting and binging. Mm. It's just not getting us anywhere. But I have come to realize that I have four kids and I've come to realize that not caring if I dropped out of a heart attack wasn't an option because of them. So I'm leading into a point here. You have to know what motivates you. For me, I need to lose 50 pounds isn't motivating. Who cares? Who cares about a number? And I never really had a lot of vanity around my weight. I would sometimes worry that when I would speak that people might not take me seriously because they would view me as undisciplined. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really like that. That goal didn't matter to me. So, what I did was I thought about what does matter to me. Well, my number one value is love and connection with my family. So, what I did was I have a five-year-old daughter and I'm 50. And I have an eight-year-old daughter. Is my daughter eight? I think she's eight. (laughs) I lose track of all of them. And then I have a 20-year-old and I have a 24-year-old. So, I... Picture and I am in in very in tune with the fact that my 24 year old is going to have me in his life a lot longer, right, than my Mm -hmm. five year old. And that makes me sad, but what can you do? So I picture my five year old as a grown woman laying in a hospital bed. I can tell this story without crying. It took many attempts. (laughs) And she's with her husband and she says to him, I wish my mom was here to see her about her baby. Yeah. And when I would be faced with an all-you-can-eat potluck f- from a church function or wherever I was, I would conjure that image. And I would say, what is the decision that will make that reality not come true where Evelyn has to say, I wish my mom was here to see my first child be born?
0: Mm. It's a powerful, image. a
1: powerful motivator, Blake.
0: Yeah, it's an anchor. When I pick for sure. chips
1: or uh, <laughs> celery sticks with hummus. <laughs> <laughs> and I use system. that motivator all yeah. the time but you have to know what your values are what's important to you because if lose 50 pounds isn't to, I don't I don't pay any attention to numbers like yeah. none of that matters right but being here that my 5 year old that I will be at her wedding that I will be there for her first child to be born if she chooses to get married if she chooses to have children that's mm-hmm. an option and I'm going to do everything in my power it, and I just I am the type of person that I am proactive, but it has to get bad before I'll do something different. I am often very surprised when I find out, people find out like they're on the path to dying and they're just would rather just go that route. I don't understand that, but we just haven't clicked into what they value is what mm. that is. So what do you value? What's important to you? What, what, to, When you think about being happy and fulfilled and, and all of those things, what is it that, that that makes you happy? And so sometimes people are like, well, I don't want to run around on a treadmill in my apartment. Well, what what matters to you? Can, do you want to go pick up trash from your neighbors? Are you like a giver type of person? Or do you want to um, do competitions? Are you competitive where you compete with friends, like on where you can connect up? And how many steps did you walk? Like you can figure out what motivates you. And so for me being accountable to someone else. I don't like to disappoint people. It's super easy for me to disappoint myself. I would get in bed some nights and say, because it wasn't a habit yet, right? Mm. I would get in bed and I would say, oh no, Carrie is expecting a sweaty selfie. <sighs> and I would haul my bed out of, out, myself out of bed at nine o'clock at night and do a hit workout. Yeah, <laughs> And I hated every second of it, but I did not want to make her feel like, wow, yeah. that was a really bad investment of my time to support right. Kristen on this journey because she's a loser <laughs> i didn't I didn't want to, I didn't want that you sure. know i I really didn't want to disappoint her so what is your motivation but I have found having an exercise buddy and mm-hmm. then I got an exercise buddy to help her and she lost 50 pounds
0: <laughs> well that's amazing it's, I mean it's the power of community and it's yeah you know I think it's what I love is how you tied it back to your values. Because I think many of us, uh, especially even people listening right now, when they think about their own values, I do think they do one of two things. They go to those cliches like family, which I've heard as an answer Mm-mm, so many yeah. times, or two, they have three scary words. I don't know. I don't yeah. know what my values are. And right. so that, that path of self-awareness can be really, um, really powerful. So. Yeah,
1: it was instrumental knowing my values to know what would work for me because the whole thing of you need to just go and run and run and run on a treadmill every day. First of all, I have a ton of variety and I joined a program and it's only 77 bucks a year to do this physiotherapist program and I love it. And she has videos and see, this is the workout I did today. Yeah, <laughs> I did that one today. <laughs> um, I just follow what she says. And I watch the video and I do the video. And then I send the sweaty selfie to my partner to say, oh, I'm done. I did it. Yeah. I don't want to have to think of what to do every day. And I don't like routine. I don't like repetition. Same thing every day. If, if my workout was like, get up and go outside and run every day, five days a week, I would have quit by now. Mm-hmm. I need variety. So I run on Monday. I do, um weights on Tuesday. I do like a hit workout, a run again Wednesday, hit workout Thursday. You know, I I've and all the workouts are different. So I have to have variety or I'll get bored.
0: Sure. Yeah. And so it's it's tailored to you, which I think I think that's another thing that's really insightful is not only is is all of our listeners under needing to understand themselves better and what drives them, but also understanding the you know, the uniqueness, the personality behind all of that. Um so, uh, Kristen, where I'm looking at the time, this we our conversation has flown by. By the way, <laughs> uh, well, I I wanted to also, you know, we don't have time for it today, but I, I want to also point people. Oh, towards... come on!
1: Can't you be like those podcasters, like Smartless and Jordan Harbinger, <laughs> where it's like some episodes are 90 minutes, some are like two hours? I'm just I don't, I don't
0: know. I mean, maybe I'm I need teasing. to like review like my. Own personal like view of myself. I I don't know if my listeners like the podcast that much to be like, yeah, let's do because you know, like a Joe Rogan episode is like four hours, and I'm oh, like, oh yikes! I don't think that's people would listen long. to me that long. But
1: um, I listened to Dak Shepard uh, interview Jim Gaffigan for two hours and ten minutes. I listened to well, the whole that's thing because
0: Jim Gaffigan is a gym, So yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> but real quick, uh, you did just publish. You've got personality. Are you are you continuing? You've been writing and publishing for a while now. Is is that the route you're sticking with? Is there more that you're going to be coming out with in the series? Would love to hear uh, more from you on that.
1: Yeah. So the You've Got series, you've got, uh, is based on UMAP. So, but it's for kids. So elementary students. You've got gifts. To discover your strengths through the book, you've got values, you've got skills, and you've got personality was the fourth one. I have written a book called You've Got Quirks. That it's even though it starts with You've Got, it's actually not part of this series because it's a nonfiction book. And the You've Got series is is a fiction, like it's got a fairy in it, right. um, not a pretty fairy. It's not a well, she's pretty because she's my daughter, but I mean, not like a fancy Tinkerbell fairy. She wears a pretty plain green dress. But anyway, and the main character is also a girl, but there are boys. There's just as many boys as as girls in every book so that it's for both genders. Because I know sometimes boys are like, oh, it's got a fairy, but it's Mm. not girly. Um, When I wrote that series, I was trying to recreate UMAP for kids for self-awareness because I find kids are way more open,
0: Mm. way
1: more open than adults are. And I have not been able to get over the difference it has made in kids' self-esteem, like the stories parents are telling me, uh, especially when they start to get into that sweet spot of like seven years old, seven, eight, nine. Um, Even my five-year-old though has really responded well, but they really internalize the messages. And so the You've Got Quirks one I'm really excited about because that one talks about the things we're ashamed in the dark about, the things mm. we never speak of. And so I had all kinds of things I was embarrassed about as a kid and we all get really self-conscious at this these different ages in life as kids. but we don't realize everybody else is a shambles as well. We think <laughs> you know they're all self-conscious too, but yeah. we think it's just us. we're the only weird one. So I thought I'm going to address this and you've got quirks so I tell the story of 12 people who had various quirks, whether it was Tourette's syndrome or whether they grew up in poverty or whether they were obese as a child or if they had a genetic disorder or missing arms and legs. Um, Nick Vachisic is is, uh, featured in the book as well, and he has no arms and legs. He's a motivational speaker. And so, I thought I'm going to address this head on, helping people realize that we all have quirks. And sometimes our quirks even become a superpower, really. Not all things. I'm not, that's very glib to say, like there are kids who their parents have been killed in a car crash and they live in an orphanage. And I'm not going to be like, that's your superpower. I'm, <laughs> I mean, like, that's extremely tone deaf. Sure. But yeah. the reality is, is that our story and yeah. the things that make us different and unique, those quirks, the things that we don't yeah like about ourselves can be very powerful in our lives in terms of making a life, uh, a difference in the world. And the people who I've seen be most successful are people like Nick who embrace not having arms and legs. He thought he would never get married. He would never have kids. He's married. He has four children. He speaks all around the world yeah, wow. and changes lives. And so, I think it's really important to reach people who are open. And so I've shifted from writing books for adults. So half my books are for adults. Maximize 365 was the last book that I wrote for adults. I am writing a book right now for adults, for coaches and consultants called Ready, Set, Coach, How to Build a Thriving Coaching Mm -hmm. Practice. But that might be my last adult book because I have found parents won't invest in themselves, but they will invest in their children. And children are open to the message. So I'm not trying to fight people to make their lives better. So I'm going to focus on children because they have not lost the ability to imagine what could be. And they Hmm. still believe in possibility. And you could say it's their naivete, but I say they just don't have the baggage that adults have that puts blinders on their eyes.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because all the uh... things
1: that, I have done shouldn't be possible for me. Mm. I shouldn't be a best-selling author, certifying people around the world in UMAP. I shouldn't be doing any of those things. I'm a Mohawk kid who grew up in a town at the time, probably had 15,000 people. There's no movie theater in the town I grew up in. Lots of people don't go to college. Lots of my friends that I went to high school with um, you know, it's just everybody who quote unquote did anything with their lives. I don't place judgments on what people's personal choices are. Cause that should be based on your own values. But so I say in air quotes moved away to do so. Right. And I lived there my whole adult life in that town. Mm-hmm. I was married with a child by the time I left there, my parents still live there. My grandparents, if they were alive, would still live there, but they've since passed. <laughs> And I've just, I've just come to this conclusion that I'm going to focus on kids because parents will invest in their children more than they invest in themselves. And I don't write books for them to sit on a shelf and not change a life with them. So it's not about the money. It's about people cracking it open and making a change because ultimately I think that my calling is to help people reach their potential. And it really bothers me that children go through life with possibility, start out in life with possibility, self-confidence. When you pull first graders, 80% of them will say that they are confident and believe in themselves. They have self-esteem. When you pull fifth graders, it's 20%. And when you uh, do high school seniors, it's 5%. It gets down to 5%. That, ha- that feel the sense of healthy self-esteem. Wow. That is, I could, that's another podcast of why that happens, <laughs> but I will say that I feel like my mission field right now is to help children preserve that sense of confidence that they have into adulthood because we make a lot of dumb choices. Oh yeah. A lot of dumb choices when we don't believe we're of value and, be- and don't believe in ourselves. We put ourselves in terrible situations we 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 doubt our capabilities. We don't go for things that we could do because we just think, oh, I'm not good enough. And it affects the whole trajectory of our lives. So that's what I'm on a mission for right now. That's what I'm doing right now.
0: It's powerful. I mean, I'm motivated just listening to you. I, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I gotta get my kid to get all of her books. And we have the first one, actually. Um, I need to buy She needs next to get year. a little
1: older. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. We, we we went through it together and she was like, she was like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Plus, it was my first
1: children's book. So I feel like it's funny because people always say that one's their favorite. It's not my favorite because I got better at writing kids' books as I went sure. through the series. So
0: I thought it was great. I thought it was a the great. The third one book.
1: is my favorite. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was very proud to read it with her because I was like, I know the author. And she was like, Goo, goo, gaga. I don't know any of this. <laughs> but, uh, she's older now. I mean, she can form words and sentences and things like that. But, um, well, no, I know
1: that my work is making a difference because my daughter has a tick disorder and I'm not going to go so far as to say she has Tourette's because she hasn't been diagnosed, but she has multiple signs of it. Yeah, okay. Um, but she does have a tick disorder, <laughs> which is like unquestionable. And, um, and it affects, uh, people wanting to play with her and hang around with her because they're like, you know why are you doing this with your head all the time you know and sure. it's strange to them and it freaks them out and so she said to me that as she's getting older she said to me um, I like have friends but I don't feel like they really want to like spend time with me they say they're my friend but she's starting to feel like lonely hmm. and so the teachers have the perspective of everyone's her friend because my da- my daughter' is very cute and she's very sweet and she's got a nice personality so people don't want to outright dislike her, but like what's going on with her head? Why is she twitching like that? Right. Cause it I, I she should probably just start talking openly about it with with friends and just embrace it so that it'll break the ice for them to not find it weird. But um that's a whole other story. But I had I had um talked to her teacher and she she said, oh no, she's getting along fine. She's a little quiet and but when I talk to my daughter about her tics, I'm very open. And so when I wrote You've got quirks, one of the characters has Tourette syndrome. Uh, and so when she when we read it she said I didn't say a word to her because I have never mentioned that word to her Tourette's um because I'm not going to bridge it until we (laughs) until we have a diagnosis but anyway so she said oh I have tics like him but she identified with him right away when I read you've got quirks to her and so we were at the YMCA going swimming and I said to her something about oh no she did an interview that's right she did an interview and uh she said, "You may have noticed to the interviewer at the <laughs> end of the interview, but I have tics." She just and the and, and the interviewer was like, "Oh, that's okay." We all, like trying to make her feel better right? around. She's yeah. like, "Oh no, I like myself just how I am. It's wow. not a problem. That's I powerful. like myself how I am." Yeah, she doesn't feel sorry for herself about it. She'll say lots of people have tics, and if you don't have tics, you got something else going on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's like uh, the way I see it is like there's the things that are um, visible to other people that we can be really easy to uh, either disregard or dismiss that person or what have you and totally blind to our own like emotional trauma and issues that we have and uh, all those things. So that's exciting though. That's got to make you feel good to know the impact, not just on your kid, but um, kids everywhere who are reading your books.
1: The feedback is really cool, like hearing what parents say. Um, one mom wrote me and said that her daughter has been really intentional with her communication and she's eight. And with her friendships, after going through You've Got Values to see what was important to her. And she's been very mindful in her her friendships. And it's just the stories are what really, Mm -hmm. it's not sales sheets that excite me. It's stories. When people write to me and they say, You know, I read You've Got Gifts to Mm. my four year old daughter whose dad was sexually abusing her, and we had to like leave that situation. And I'm just like crying, like through tears, reading this story. And she said it really brought her out of herself for the first time to read about how she's special. Because a lot of times books will say you're special, but what's different about this series is I actually have children figure out how to identify what their strengths are, what their own values are, what their own skills are, what their own personality is. It's a very child-friendly way of identifying what's great with them. It's Mm -hmm. not just you're great in general terms. (laughs) I give you tangible advice through the exercises. And so that was what was really important. I knew I didn't want to write a book that just like, you're so great (laughs) and you're special. Sure well, show me the proof. Why right. am I special? What's so special right. about me? Cause they're going to just bat that down. But when you give them something tangible to hang on to that, they now have words for, they can say, I am caring. I am whatever. And they can. So my daughter, Learning after I read the book with her, she caring is one of her gifts from the first book. And I went to pick her up from school and went through carpool lane. She got in the car. I said, how was your day? And she said, Oh, it was great. I used my caring talent today and straightened up the room so that when the janitors come in at the end of the day to clean the rooms, it'll make their jobs easier for them. Wow. I used my caring talent. She connected her behavior yeah. to something inherent about her. That's powerful.
0: Yeah. And I'm even thinking like the chain reaction of, you know, becoming a more empathetic person and you start, you know, visualizing what kind of what kind of an adult that person will be. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's got to be something to be very proud of as a mom.
1: Yeah. My mother taught me as a child behavior that gets rewarded, gets repeated. And that is good or bad behavior, by the way. (laughs) So that's one of the things I like about the series is it gives parents, we're so busy, we're not paying attention and it gives them some intention around how they can reward behavior that they want to be repeated.
0: Well, Kristen, this has been an amazing conversation. So fun always to talk to you. And um, just what a great, what a great set of insights you shared today. Uh, I'm excited to have you on again at some point. We got to do it. Yeah. Let's do
1: round four. I'm, I'm up for it. We feel we have so
0: much to talk about. I I don't know if these go to like round 12 or like what I do with these or, (laughs) you know, I was kind of like, what do I call the next one? Let's add a number to it. So.
1: Well, I reinvent myself about every 18 months.
0: So (laughs) I'll be back. (laughs) We'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and mark it on the calendar. So, um, best place for people to reach out to you, follow up with you after listening to this episode.
1: Um, They can contact me through myumap.com, M-Y-Y-O-U-M-A-P.com, or they can reach me at LinkedIn. I'm forward slash in forward slash Kristen Sherry. And you probably put that in your show notes. I don't know. Maybe you won't.
0: I will. Don't follow up with this person. No, I'm just kidding. I've had people put like their phone number and I'm like, just so everyone knows, I'm not putting their phone number in the No,
1: I am (laughs) not that extroverted. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Everyone call. Let's ring. Let's have a party. Party line.
0: (laughs) Well, Kristen, it's been really great. And I so appreciate you making the time today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
0: Mm -hmm. Hey, for our listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I am going to put both of those links down in the episode description below. Please don't hesitate to reach out to Kristen and absolutely check out her books on Amazon. They are amazing, they're bestsellers, really incredible. And uh, on top of that, if you've been listening this long to the podcast and you're not following or subscribing to the podcast, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button, click the follow button so we can keep bringing you good advice wherever you are. And also don't forget, if you want to support the podcast, you can do that at our Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash good advice, which we so appreciate. And having said all that, that's today's good advice. We'll catch you later. See ya.